Hello, welcome to Thrash Life, episode nine. I'm Ed. Here's my guest, your boy Kyle, your boy Kermit, back again. We are going to be talking about a number of things, including celebrity deaths, uh, big festivals, and um, the Super Bowl. Maybe Joe Rogan a little bit, as well as the band from Baltimore, War on Women, and some internal uh, issues that became very public very recently. Yep, it's always a shame. Yeah, and also an interview with our guest Carl Smith. But first, how you been? Been good. Just, you know, living the life, living the dream. Yeah, yeah. The dream is alive. It's out there. A little bit. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the dream just no longer exists for our good friends, Louis Anderson. Big, uh, big yeah. fan of the podcast, Life with Louis. He uh, used to send okay. us flowers every every year. Uh, meatloaf, uh, yep. not the dish. Um, he would do anything for love, but he wouldn't get vaxxed. He died from COVID. And the Brazilian samba singer, Elza Soares, who I know nothing about. but uh, How'd lived, that get on your radar? Uh, they, they lived to like 93 or something oh. like that. Uh, they okay. were apparently a big name. So cool. if you know about Elza Soares, let us know. You hear about... The multitude of ridiculous festivals that have been announced in the past week. I've heard of some. I probably haven't <laughs> caught them all, but it's getting now with as many people putting out their own spoof festivals, like yeah, flyers. Yeah. I don't know what's real and what's fake anymore because even the real ones are just as ridiculous as the made up ones. Yeah, the real ones, very big, lots of artists, uh, 90 plus artists on some of these big festivals but they're multiple days you know new orleans jazz festival stuff like that um when we were young festival has appeared seemingly out of nowhere a festival for um one day in las vegas hosted by live nation the same live nation that wound up killing some astro astro world attendees oh. going at it again all right and um you know, they don't have a very good track record with uh, their fees and stuff. Like, all the, like, people just generally hate Live Nation as a booking thing, but it has, like, everybody that you ever heard of in the year 2002 to 2007. Like, I'm talking, like, uh, headlined by Paramore um, and some other uh, bands, but, like, Dashboard confessional, uh, right. a, a bunch of a I bunch of emo Thursday bands. Thursday on yeah, there. Thursday, uh, Alizana and yeah. AFI, just like the CD collection that was in your friend's car. You know, some burned mixtape um, has three stages. The bands will be playing simultaneously, which means if you want to go there to see a headliner and another headliner, you might actually have to listen to them both at the same time. Uh, word on the street is the the stages will rotate so that they'll cut down on transition time. So one band mm. will be setting up on the backside as uh, the that other old band's, uh, lazy uh, Susan trick. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I heard actually they've added a second day to this now. So really, I think they're okay. paying attention to the criticism. 
Hmm. Still not my cup of tea. Yeah, um, the projected uh, time set times that somebody had like come out with was pretty much giving all of these acts twenty minutes each. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting, but I'm sure that would stagger because there's bottom billing. And yeah, top yeah. Billing, like Paramore so. had like fifty minutes, and yeah. that was like that's that's not a lot for a headliner. Yeah. Um, some of these bands did not know they were playing until the flyer came out, and then oh. they were like, "Oh, it's like." Cool. Well, we're honored to play <laughs> this. Yeah. Uh, first, I've heard of it, but yeah, well, it'll be great. Which is kind of hard to tell if it's like they're they have, they have a booking company themselves and they just didn't communicate within their own camp that they're going to be obligated to yeah. do something. Um, some of these bands are Maybe like it's like uh, uh, what was it Wayne's World too when he puts on that festival. Yeah. <laughs> just, if you book them, they will come. Yeah. Um, it was, it was interesting to see Kitty on there because I was hmm. I wasn't aware that Kitty was operating as a band anymore. Yeah, and some of these other bands, I don't think. I bet a lot of them aren't. They're just gonna come play like their two or three songs that yeah, people yeah. know, and that'll be it. People are comparing it to Fire Festival, like oh, you'll get the yeah, you'll get cheese there. sandwich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, the tickets are about two hundred and fifty dollars, but then it goes up to. Uh, Hotel room packages for five hundred dollars. This is for the one day you can version. You take it on layaway too. Yeah, yeah. You have How to. How about that for some ultra capitalism? You can put twenty dollars down to make sure you get on the pre-sale list. You also have a, a VIP tent there for I believe twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, I saw that. Where... It's available at one stage. So yeah, hope you like the bands that are on that stage. Yeah, it's uh, available for the main stage, and you get a complimentary two bottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's 10, 10 VIP of water, tickets. Right? <laughs> no, no, I know, of, of I know. Liquor. Champagne they they said one of them will be high dollar, and it's yeah. like, well, if it's only $2, I mean, or two bottles, rather, um, there are some uh, bottles of uh, scotch that are running up in that uh, 10 grand range, yeah. <laughs> so maybe you can get your money's worth. Probably not. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like it. But I don't want to poo-poo this too much. There's some people out there that are excited. So this is like some people's whole world. They're like yeah. whole time yeah, of their so life. Good for them. I wasn't listening to any of this music at the time, but I did listen to some other adjacent music, like the band Saves the Day. Yeah. And I didn't see them on this bill. Yeah. And I was just like, well, this is the only band Incomplete. that I want to see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um everything else was just kind of whatever, except for Kitty. I'd want to see Kitty, but in that projected uh, line up, they were only getting 20 minutes. Mm, so, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll find somebody who had a cell phone camera out in the middle of the crowd, I guess. Yeah, there'll be YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, Slipknot announced the Knotfest Roadshow. Not not the Antiques Roadshow, the Knotfest Roadshow. Mm. 2022, with the bands supporting being In This Moment, Ginger with Jays, and Cypress Hill... Remember them? And uh, I think this band's oh, 9909. Be... Is that what it is? <laughs> I don't know. What the fuck is HH9909. Is it Hogog? Or <laughs> it, I, I, for some reason, when I saw it, I thought it was supposed to be like horror, but the but nines don't look like R's. Yeah. So I'm really, uh, if, if you know how to pronounce this band's name, leave a comment. Let us know. I don't know. I just keep thinking hot dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does kind of look like a hot dog. Um, I saw one of their album covers. The album cover, you know, the art looked pretty cool, but I didn't mm. listen to their stuff yet. Ginger, I have listened to. Cypress Hill, 
I've listened to. <laughs> Get out of here with that. Uh, in this moment, I've listened to in the past. This isn't like a bill that interests me at all. I think past not fests have had a lot more heavy music. And yeah. I mean, sorry if like this music is heavy to you or something, yeah. but it's not not my cup of tea. But uh, mm. if you're into Slipknot, I'm sure you Slipknot probably will, will put on a good yeah. show. Like. And- Probably like these other bands too. If you're a big Slipknot fan, yeah, and I mean, I'm sure you know Slipknot's found something cool with these bands. Then clearly, there's something there. Like yeah. they're not just putting them on because they're out there or something. I, I think. feel like Ginger has a pretty big following right now. I don't know how long that'll last. Yeah, but... yeah. You know, in that when we were a young festival, I wasn't completely sure if they had "Every Time I Die" on that playbill. But the band, Every Time I Die, uh, did announce that they were breaking up after 24 years. Yeah. They've been a band since uh, 1998. The singer was like, we should have broke up in 2014. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So he he sought a break for mental health, and then he said he felt ostracized by the rest of the band after his uh, newfound sobriety. And then... um, he just posted like some legal shit on Twitter that was like a statement from some law firm about like the band essentially being dissolved and hmm. the rest of the bands were like, Oh, like where did, where in this thing does it say that I'm fired? I can't read this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunate, a lot of people were um pretty big fans of Every Time I Die, obviously a band for twenty four years. I saw them at Ozfest in two thousand six or something. Wow. Um, I believe they played like, I, I think, I think they were on this tour with, uh, like Bury Your Dead and stuff like that. And I remember, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith had a metal band at this time uh, yeah, and she was, was like yeah. repping Bury Your Dead and Every Time I Died. It was, yeah. it was like a really weird moment because everybody booed Jada Pinkett Smith for yeah. being there. They, they weren't like very receptive to that band existing. Right. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I forgot what it was even called. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, incredibly forgettable. Unfortunately, uh, Willow Smith, much better uh, yeah. artist, turns out. You know, I whip my hair back and forth. Banger. Straight she, banger. She's on that new song, too, that's real big on TikTok with some band called The Anxiety. Yeah, yeah. That song, catchy, but it's literally five choruses in a row, <laughs> and that's it. Well, you know. You swing, you take the shots. You can, you oh, they hit get, a home you know. run, man. Um, speaking of home runs, uh, bangers, did you see that the uh, guitarist from Testament, Alex Skolnick, made a song with his side project named Skoly D, like Schooly D, okay. and he made a song about the big lie in January 6th. This is a rap song that he made. Uh, I mean, everything about this sounds terrible. I hadn't heard about it. It was... Weird, kind of boomer cringe uh, sort of shit. Definitely like, I mean, the, the name Schoolie D kind of says it all. His yeah. his hip hop influences are the past, like yeah. the very distant past. And you know the the other guys who rap on the song uh, a lot a lot better than Alex Skolnick. Turns out, uh, probably uh, rap song not that great. The material, you know, uh, sure it's fine. Yeah. Uh, the, the concept i'm not going to say anything about the concept or the content but the performance itself yeah um, well, let's let's move on to some yeah some proper rappers yeah yeah <laughs> so you sent me this yeah 
Um, what was your impression? The, uh, well, the Super Bowl halftime show was announced a while ago, and there was a lot of backlash because it wasn't like fucking Vince Neil sounding like shit or something oh, like yeah, that, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, if you don't know, it's, uh, what do we got here? It's Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, and Kendrick Lamar. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I, I thought the commercial was pretty cheesy oh, so, that they just released. So but... they did announce it before. Yeah, it's already been announced. Okay, that okay. was just the first promo commercial for it that was recently released. Yeah, I saw. So this uh, trailer was like made by a producer, and it's like a medley of... Uh, Obviously, the like number one hits of each of these performers. Um, it's it's pretty interesting in the video because it shows Eminem or Slim Shady and Marshall Mathers yeah. like rapping to each other. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I'm gonna tell you my biggest takeaway from this video was that Dr. Trey looks so looks, different yeah. and old, man. Yeah. Well, Whoa. He is. Kendrick Lamar, though, man, he he looks great. Yeah, uh, they play in the in the Bedley uh, Be Humble. And yeah. It's just like brought me back to like how great of a musician and like those those couple of albums. Like, yeah, the one that Be Humble is on and everything. The, the, like really good stuff. Like, yeah, the, I, the whole thing got me going back and listening to stuff like that, and also just Dr. Dre. Everything he's touched has been pretty great. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, how long is a typical halftime show, would you say? I think it's like 15 minutes or something. So do, do you think that they're, they're going to do a medley on stage? Yeah, there's, okay. no, there's no way that nobody ever does full songs. They just do like mashups basically to try and right. cram in as much as possible. I think the last one that I really remembered was uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers because there was like a controversy. Because yeah, I think they, they were just unplugged. wearing... Yeah, that's what it was. I think they were also only wearing socks. Oh, that, that was old thing, I or something. Okay. I don't, I don't, Well, maybe they did the sock thing there, too. But um, The last one I remember was uh, Maroon 5 because it was terrible, and um, people spent, like, weeks roasting that guy's tattoos. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I know that as soon as they started putting on hip-hop artists, there was a bit of a kerfuffle also because yeah, people didn't but... want non-classic rock on right. stage or whatever i'm looking forward to obviously seeing kendrick lamar's performance mary j blige looking pretty good as well yeah um eminem man that dude just looks like so weird like, so weird now. he like dyes his hair now yeah. i mean I, not 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 like I dye my hair, but yeah, <laughs> he like dyes his hair, you know, like he just, just for men. I don't think it was blonde like that before. Well, either. yeah, but the 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 beard should... just being so sharp is what. Like... Yeah, he looks like a like a uh, like a serious Tom Green or something. I don't I don't know. It's just like he's got a real weird look about him these days. Yeah, and um, you know, Snoop Dogg. He's just Snoop Dogg. He looks like a yeah. dude just like he's, goes through he's time. He's starting to look like more like he belongs in like a funk band than a rapper. Yeah, though. yeah. Well, he's got the he's got the drip, man. Yeah, he's got he the does. good drip. He does. Um You listen to podcasts, right? Yeah, I do. I, I listen to some podcasts. I listen to this podcast sometimes. Yeah. Available on all podcast I always listen platforms. On Fridays when it comes out. Absolutely. And um so, recently, Joe Rogan, well, not just recently, Joe Rogan's been doing stupid shit for a while, just saying whatever he wants, 
that's the appeal of Joe Rogan is that he's a guy who just says what he wants. It's, it's his his show. Yeah, um, I, don't, I he, don't see what's really wrong with that though. No, he had a a doctor on recently, and uh, the doctor said some stuff about vaccines and COVID, and. Um, I think like a thousand other doctors came out and was like, this doctor's full of shit. Why are you, you know, platforming If these it's guys? the one that I'm thinking of, it's because this doctor was like an expert on this yeah, type he was, of, And he also said he himself is vaccinated. Yeah. So when you take what a doctor's saying, really like what they've done kind of speaks the most volumes. Right, so. right. So he... Um, there was a lot of pressure on Spotify yeah. to to do something about this. Like, hey, tell your boy... Chill it with the with the controversial shit every week. To stop stop like uh, in this case they were talking about misinformation. Yeah, if Spotify doesn't like it. That's valid because they are technically his publisher. But um, so last year, Spotify CEO Daniel Ek told Axios that the company does not take responsibility for what Rogan or his guests say, and he compared the podcaster to really well paid rappers on Spotify saying we don't dictate what they're putting in their songs either. And like honestly, this just seems like like the wrong argument. Like it's it's not the same argument that they're having. Like saying something there's no rapper out there who is like telling you not to get a vaccine or something yeah. like I, mean, I think that like they don't even have to explain themselves. Again, Spotify, they can do whatever they want. So it's if they true. don't want to come down on them, just don't. Don't yeah, put yeah. out this weak statement. This is just makes it worse. But I uh, I wholeheartedly endorse um, the CEO Daniel X statement. And uh, as a result, Medusa Head Media is actually going to be coming out with a new album called Health Hacks. And we're going to be putting out such songs as uh, Eating Cat Poop Boosts Your Immune System. And the 24-hour nail polish remover colon cleanse and uh, bloodletting cured my cancer. Uh, you can do the bloodletting. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll eat the cat poop. Th this will come out <laughs> pretty soon. <laughs> and uh, don't worry, all of these are completely true statements. And we can say whatever we want because we're distributed through Spotify. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Last but not least, right. <laughs> <laughs> let's get into the meat and potatoes of our news today. The war on women, not the war on women. The band is called War on Women without the yeah. um, ex-guitarist accuses the band of abusive and or illegal behavior. Uh, there is a lengthy statement that I'm going to try to skim through here. Um... War on Women wrote a, a response as well. So I'm going to try to go through this as fast as I can. I think it's interesting to know both perspectives here. And uh, maybe you'll see some parallels between, like, your own journey as a musician or, like, somebody else's, like, uh, journey as a musician that's close to you. Um, she says, My name is Nancy Sophia Hornberg, and I am the former guitarist for feminist hardcore band War on Women. I am writing this statement to share some of my experiences while being in the band and experiences after leaving the band War on Women. These experiences have greatly impacted my life to the point where I now speak of my experiences with War on Women in therapy. 
in 2010, Evan Glenn Tanner handed me a CD with six rough cuts of songs on it by the band War on Women. Evan Tanner and I both worked at a bar restaurant in Baltimore called Johnny Rad's Pizzeria Tavern, or Pizza Tavern. Pretty good place. We've yeah. been to it, yeah. yeah. Um, Evan suggested I try out for the new band, War on Women. I did, and we started playing shows with them in early 2011. I played my first show with them at Charm City Art Space, now closed. We've played at Charm City Art Space. Um, was a cool place. When I joined the band, Brooks and Shauna presented their ideas to me and I liked them. Brooks is the guitarist. Shauna is the lead singer. Um, they spoke of equality and women's rights. I too share the same ideas and was happy to finally find others that felt the same as I did. The singer Shauna and the guitarist Brooks ran a guitar and amp shop called Big Crunch. I thought that was really interesting and just... Another thing that convinced me to join them in their punk quest for feminist ideals. After joining the band, I slowly learned that I had no voice or creative input in War on Women. I also learned that I had no say in the recording or mixing. I was never allowed to see actual money totals or documentation of the money. Brooks Harlan and Shauna Potter created a hierarchy in the band. They were the leaders and everyone else in the band was not going to get a chance to share their ideas. Brooks would write all the music and Shauna would write the lyrics. This was not up for discussion and it was quietly implemented by these two people, quietly implemented. Mm. Um, when I started playing with Brooks Harlan, Shauna Potter, Evan Tanners, and Rusty Haney, I felt accepted. Over time, I felt my opinions and concerns were not important enough to listen to, let alone take into consideration. I was laughed at when I spoke up about anything while traveling in the van. Shauna often said, Nancy, you sound like a little child when I would join in on conversations in the van. Brooks and Evan would belittle me on any subject that I spoke of. They treated me like I had no brain of my own to formulate ideas and thoughts. This was frustrating, and I began to feel like this all the time when I was traveling with them. One time in the van, I warned Brooks that we were needing to fill the gas up. He proceeded to argue with me that he knew what he was doing. He had run out of gas and caused the band to be delayed twice before this time of me speaking up over and get refueled i reminded him of those two times of being stranded and he finally agreed to get fuel brooks always had to be correct brooks treated me kindly when i first joined the band he offered to help me make it um, help make me an amp and i thought that was really nice he convinced me that his gear was the best gear to use brooks set the tone he chose the distortion i would use he chose the pedals i would play with brooks had all the songs already written when i joined this did not bother me because they were a brand new band i needed to learn the direction of the band how it was going. I did not realize that he just needed women to play his songs. I considered Brooks a friend, and I personally collabor enjoy collaboration with the others. Uh, Brooks does not collaborate with other women. He only considers his partner Shauna's ideas. Uh, Brooks' rise came over me slowly. At first, I Really thought that he and Shauna had everyone's best interest in mind. Over the years, I slowly, slowly realized that Brooks and Shauna considered themselves to be the band and that everyone else was just a hired gun with no creative say in the project. Brooks would slowly begin to criticize me continually. He did this in private, often put, pulling me aside from everyone else. When I would voice my ideas or concerns, I was met by minimization of them from Brooks or eye rolls from him. Brooks told Sue that... Sue and I, that Evan Tanner and him were a good songwriting team. This was to reassure that no ideas from the other women in the band could be valid ideas. The men knew best, according to Brooks. 
I felt that everything I said was questioned and disregarded as not important. This made me feel bullied and defeated. Uh, over the years, 2011 to 2016, he showed me that he had to be in control of this band after deciding what equipment I would use. He decreed all songs and set lists. If he came up with the song, we were playing that song. There were no discussions of this. He also decided what sides of the stage we would all stand on. When we recorded at Magpie Cage Studio for Warren Women's first record on Bridge Nine, Brooks was the engineer. I did not work with Jay Robbins at all while recording uh, War on Women. I only worked with Brooks Harlan. Brooks coached me through all the songs and told me to repeat my parts until they were to his liking. The backing vocals I performed were coached by Brooks. It was nerve-wracking to play for him over and over again. He was extremely demanding. I had no say in structure or order or mixing or mastering. The artwork on the cover came from Brooks' dream that he had. We did not vote on the artwork. It just got placed on the album. The first record was Brooks' own work. He just needed the women to play his songs. There's nothing equal when it came to working with Brooks. Um, after a few years of me being in the band War on Women, Brooks Harlan started to place a recording device on top of my amp. He only did this to me. When he started doing this, he told me that he was just checking some things out. He continued to place a handheld recording device on top of my amp, reassuring me that it was okay for him to do this to me. He would then keep the recording to himself, would listen to my playing in the van, and use that recording to critique me. Brooks could record and critique my playing, but I could not critique him. The act of him recording me constantly made me very, very anxious. It was constantly seeking Brooks' approval. It made me think that I had to play to his standards all the time. There were no standards for him. It constantly made me feel like I had no control over anything, including my own thoughts or artistry. In 2015, I sang on the backing vocals with for the song I Am a Rifle with Sue and Shauna. This was a collaboration with the band Propagandi. A short time after we recorded that song, Brooks and I went for a walk around the park. Uh, during that walk, Brooks, Brooks let me know that he could have taken away the opportunity for us to do that song with Propagandi. Kind of fucking weird. Brooks let me know what power he had over all of us women. It was shocking to hear those words all the time, and I believed him. He continued to be kind and then cold to me, helpful and extremely critical to the point of causing me secure, uh, severe insecurity with my musicianship. Brooks was older than me, and he treated me like I was a child. When we played in a Tulum, so Slovenia, for Punk Rock Holiday, Brooks had me in tears after the show because I was a few minutes late to the van call. That was unlike me. I was always on time to van calls. I was late because I had been talking to Laura Jane Grace on her bus and lost track of time. When I arrived at the van, I apologized for being late, and I was in a bubbly mood when I arrived in the van. Brooks decided to berate me for being late to the point that I broke down sobbing in front of him. We got in the van. He proceeded to say cruel things to me. During this incident, nobody else spoke up for me in the van. They just let Brooks brutally yell at me for being late. He later apologized to me. This was how Brooks operated with me, breaking me down and bringing me back up. I now know this as a manipulation tactic. When we were touring with the band Flag, we were in Nashville, and I had injured my hand the night before. The show, the night in Nashville, was poorly attended, and we were the opening band. I walked up to Brooks, and I told him I was in pain, and if we could omit one song from the set that evening. Brooks scoffed at me and said to my face, if you don't want to play that song, you can sit to the side of the stage and wait while we all play it. I played that song that night while holding back tears in my eyes from the pain in my left hand. 
Brooks threatened embarrassment if I didn't want to do what I what he wanted. Brooks ignored my actual physical pain and laughed when I spoke of serious issues with the band. It was incredibly frustrating to feel like I was working for Brooks all the time. In November of 2016, Brooks asked me to meet him at a local bar. I agreed, and we met at the Rocket to Venus in Baltimore. I thought we were initially meeting to uh, discuss our drummer Evan Tanner's behaviors. Brooks proceeded to tell me that I was a bad guitarist, and I got too anxious and messed up a lot. He also told me I had mental issues. He stated he did not want me to play on the second recording for Bridge Nine. I was in shock. I could not believe that he, what he was saying to me. At this point in time, Brooks had already handed Sue and I a CD of all the new songs that he wrote. Those songs were to be the next album. There was no discussion about these songs and what they did to make it to the second record. Um, after Brooks told me he no longer wanted me in the band, I asked him if I could have some time to get myself together. He stated that he didn't think so. I, can, I asked him if he was going to continue working with Evan Tanner, and he stated that they were going to continue to work with Evan. Brooks left me sitting alone at the bar shortly after saying these things. That was my exit from the band. No other band members were present for this conversation. Brooks had decided that I was not good enough to play his feminist songs. Brooks once again isolated and intimidated me into submission. Uh, while being in the band with these individuals, uh, I started to have major issues with the drummer, Evan Tanner. Touring with him was extremely difficult. He was argumentative about every subject. We were constantly catering to him in many ways, like him getting his own hotel rooms paid for out of the band fund, him getting to decide sets, catering to his ever-changing diet regime that was not medical and that changed often, catering to his alcoholism by letting him drink alcohol in the van while traveling and watching him constantly throw tantrums if he didn't get his way. I started to catch Evan in blatant lies, lies about his phone not working, lies about him working, lies about sending women unsolicited nudes of himself to multiple friends of mine, and lies about where the money was going. Evan was always broke, sick, and incredibly hard to work with on tour. Evan could not play more than nine songs without vomiting afterwards, and his musicianship was some of the worst I have ever seen or worked with. A side note, I'm so glad. I can play more than nine songs without vomiting everywhere. Yeah. But back into this. Um, this caused everybody in the band to stress. Vomit often does. I was told by Brooks on multiple occasions not to bother Evan and that Evan was going through a hard time. Those being the reasons why we should cater to Evan. I spoke up many times about Evan's behaviors and was told I was wrong every time. Evan and Brooks worked on songs together often and I was never allowed to join them. Late 2015, I began to see Brooks groom Sue Werner to take Evan into her, her home as a roommate. I watched Brooks tell Sue that she needed to help him and give him a place to live in her house. At this time, Evan was homeless, not paying any bills at his last house. I also witnessed Brooks telling Sue to give Evan money because he was in a bad way. Brooks pushed and pushed for Sue to take Evan into her home. Evan couldn't keep a roof over his head. He never had any money even though he had jobs. There was no logical explanation of where his income was going. I mean, there's a logical explanation. The drugs and the alcohol, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, I convinced Sue to not lend Evan any more money, but in 2016, Evan moved into our basement. He lived there for two years and paid no bills or rent. He left the basement a complete mess. Brooks did not help to rent collection or eviction, but it was his idea to have Evan live in Sue's house. 
Brooks also never helped Sue clean her basement. In 2016, War on Women was abruptly kicked out of our practice space on Assistant Street in Baltimore. The locks were changed on us. And at the time, Evan Tanner was the caretaker for the entire practice space. Brooks and Evan were able to retrieve our music equipment, but we had to immediately find another practice space. I was told by Brooks not to bother Evan about getting kicked out of the practice space. Brooks told me that I should be quiet and that Evan and him were handling it. Nothing more was said about the incident, and we continued to practice at a new space across town. Found out in 2020 that Evan Tanner was robbing the practice space we used all the time. He was taking cash from the owner's safe. The cash was practice space rent from other bands, and he was supposed to be collected by Evan. Evan was taking that money and pocketing some of it himself. Instead of calling the cops, the owner asked Evan to leave immediately and only let him back in the building to to retrieve the band's gear. It is my opinion that Brooks knew Evan stole cash. It is my opinion that Brooks helped cover up a robbery for Evan Glenn Tanner. Maybe. Um, Burglary. Yeah. Robberies are a strong hand. Or strong arm. Well, I'm I'm not a lawyer, so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but in any case, I had to have a friend take a car back from Evan Tanner. I helped a friend find and retrieve. I helped a friend find Evan Tanner and retrieve a car that he defaulted on. I've had multiple people that tell me, or. I've had multiple people tell me that Evan has hurt them financially in 2020. I started to do a deep dive into the past 10 years of Evan's interactions with the people. Found that he now has been reselling a pickle business. Tanner's Pickles that he started with a woman in 2010. His original partner was unaware that he was reselling their business. He's been fraudulently selling a business that no longer exists. And at this time, the business has been sold three times after signing a contract with Evan's original investor. Evan Tanner has taken thousands of dollars from multiple people with the promise of shares in a business that doesn't exist. It is through my findings that I have uncovered this decade-long scam. He has received upwards of $120,000 from multiple sources. He has received multiple free places to live, defaulted on several cars, received many other items that he requested from others for help. There is no pickle business. Evan has been lying to anyone he interacted with. He's a thief, and I truly believe that he will continue to steal from people if he is not stopped. Um, I've spent a year trying to get people to document their stories of Evan so that I can bring him into the eyes of the law. I've interviewed a woman that is too afraid to speak out about about this man because he physically harmed her in 2016. I was forced to tour with what I now know is a scam artist and abuser. My assumptions about Evan Tanner were not wrong. Evan is a criminal and has been committing criminal acts since 2011. When I was in War on Women, Shauna treated me like I was beneath her. I felt like Shauna would often pull me into unsafe spaces. One time we stayed at a random person's house on tour and Shauna kicked me out of the room where she and Brooks were planning on staying. I had to sleep in a basement with a knife under my pillow because the house had random people coming in and out of it at all hours. At some point in her travels, Shauna nominated herself as tour manager. Uh, she was to oversee all the money, merch ordering, and tour logistics. She was a bad tour manager. Didn't care if the rest of the band was comfortable while she slept. Only cared if she got a bed and access to the showers first. 
didn't care if the rest of the band ate dinner, didn't look out for us in any way. It wasn't until I spoke up about food that she started to finally make sure that we had access to dinner every day. I asked Shauna about the money. She would reassure me that I didn't need to see everything that pertained or anything that pertained to money. She started to make me feel like I was in the wrong for even asking to see receipts or tour logs. It got so awkward to speak about money with Shauna that I did stop asking about money intake and usage for the band. She is one of the most self-serving women I've ever worked with or played in a band with. I think she truly lacks empathy towards others. She knew I was a survivor of sexual assault, but she never cared to learn my story. When War on Women filmed the video for Say It, I was not notified that there would be others in the video that would be outing themselves. Shauna and Brooks had already laid out the video and didn't care to hear my thoughts on it. They did not think about singing a song about rape in front of the monument quilt would affect me in any way. I was extremely anxious to film that video. Shauna once again talked me down and assured me that it was okay and that she and Brooks designed the whole video without other people's feelings or experiences in mind. I have received messages from other artists that print t-shirts that Shauna did not compensate them correctly. It was upsetting to hear and it prompted me to look into what I had been paid by Shauna for the years 2015 to 2020. In my Venmo transaction history, Shauna Potter had been sending me $5 a year with a note each time saying royalties. I looked into it deeper and realized that I had zero receipts or documentation of payment in any records other than Venmo transactions. Nothing was ever sent to me to accurately document money within the band. Shauna did not pay Samantha Pearl for filling in for me on guitar in the summer of 2016. Samantha has told me that she toured with them for 30 days and was told by Shauna at the end of it that she would be receiving no compensation for her work with the band. Wow. The wow is me. <laughs> um, I was unaware of all this until I spoke with, spoke with Samantha Pearl in 2020. This was very upsetting news to hear. September 2020, I wrote a letter to Shauna. I found out via Facebook that the first War on Women record 10-inch on Exotic Fever Records was being repressed and re-released. I saw that my photo had been changed and I was not notified of any of this. I was credited on that record. In the letter to Shauna, I stated that she did not own my likeness and that I should have been notified of this release. I also asked for some copies of the record to be sent to me since they had already been pressed and sent out. She sort of apologized for not contacting me and did send me some records. This made me start to look into money. I was never shown any money statements. I was being made to feel like I was wrong for asking where the band money was going and how I was being split. So in December 2020, wrote a letter to Brooks. I was prompted to do this after hearing from many people. They were not compensated correctly by Shauna for t-shirt printing or artwork. In the letter, I asked to know why Brooks pushed for Evan and why he catered to him. I asked to see the money because I was never allowed to see where the money went while in the band. I asked why Brooks thought it was okay to abuse women mentally and emotionally for his good own good. Um, I also asked him to state publicly that he was sorry for controlling women and catering to Evan. I told Brooks I would come out publicly with my abuse from the band and Evan's crimes. Brooks did not respond. He did respond with a newly made up royalty statement and oh, Sean Evan owed me 200 or so dollars. In the statement, it stated that we received a 25K advance from label Bridge 9. 
I was never told about this amount, why we asked for that much, or how much we actually spent. Shauna hid that from me. This makes me angry, and I feel like I have been duped by these people. The band still owes money to the label Bridge Nine. I was in advance. I had no knowledge of any of these things. My experience with Brooks, Shauna, and Evan left me emotional and mental distress. My self-esteem was destroyed. These experiences made me feel like I could not trust people in music. Being in the band made me feel like I had no voice. These individuals took advantage of my kindness and the kindness of others. I was in an abusive setting and it affected my ability to defend myself and caused performance issues. I was never in a safe space when I traveled or worked with these individuals. Shauna writes about and teaches about safer spaces, but I feel like she does not actually care to practice these things. I was traveling with dishonest individuals and it makes me very sick to my stomach to know all this now. I was forced to travel with a criminal, Evan. My face is permanently next to his on two records. Evan was pushed for by Brooks. Being in a feminist band was an in for Evan with others. Brooks enabled Evan to gain access to others, which has allowed his crimes of fraud and abuse to become prolific. I feel disgusted by this. Goes on to say, Shauna should not be teaching safer spaces. She is charging money to teach business crisis control and how to respond to individuals in distress. I have an issue with her teaching these things because she has no education, no degree, no former job training, no certificates, and no licensing. This is dangerous when we have people offering counseling advice when they are not trained properly. It is my opinion that Shauna and Brooks started war on women to promote their business in themselves. It is my opinion that this is an abusive marketing ploy. Um, you know, there's more in here at the end. I'm afraid that other women will have to go through what I went through in the band, and I don't want this to happen ever again. I think that Evan's going to continue to do stuff. I was forced to cater to a criminal. Uh, Shauna should be held accountable for being dishonest about payments, money collection, other things. Um... Equality only exists with Shauna. If she is the one standing in front, the other women around Shauna do not have a voice or say. I asked Sue to help me warn the public about Evan. I texted her multiple times begging her to help me. She ignored me. I stopped trying to contact Sue in 2021 when I saw Sue in public. She told me she didn't believe me about the abuse and she didn't think she could help with Evan. Sue could have helped. She sings about helping women all the time. She knew Evan had hurt a woman in her own home and said nothing about it. Sue has access to publications and punk platforms. It is my opinion that Sue should also be held accountable for ignoring the crimes of Evan and deliberately not helping other women. The public needs to be warned to stay away from Evan. Evan deserves to have his assets seized and to pay back all the money that he has taken, etc. War on Women is a feminist marketing ploy designed only to benefit benefit Brooks and Shauna. I would like the public to be aware of this. No one should work with these individuals or listen to their fake feminist songs. War on Women is the patriarchy wrapped in glossy coding of feminist lyrics. Now, of course, War on Women was quick to respond with their own response. Um, a lot shorter uh, in response to the recent public statement by Nancy Hornberg, Nancy Hornberg and Evan Tanner are two former members of War on Women. They were both asked to leave the band over five years ago and have not been involved with the band since. 
Evan was asked to leave because we could no longer deal with his unreliable and manipulative behavior. The events that have recently been revealed about the level of his manipulative behavior, including alleged criminal activity, were unknown to us until recently. Certainly not something we would ever knowingly endorse. Nancy Hornberg was being asked to leave the band because there were repeated instances of lateness, inability to play, and overall inconsistent behavior. The core cause of this behavior was a serious personal matter, which we do not feel comfortable disclosing or detailing publicly. Cross-referencing that with uh, uh, Nancy's statement here that she tried to tell Shauna about her history of uh, sexual violence and uh, wasn't receptive to it. Um, kind of weird. Um, and that they end with our prior requests to discuss any issues with Nancy have directly been refused. And it's unfortunate that she has chosen to address this so publicly, making inaccurate claims and assumptions about the feelings and motivations of her past band members. It is also disappointing that no current member of War on Women has been asked for comment by any press outlet who chose to publicize Nancy's claims. None of us are perfect and touring is hard, but Nancy's memory of these events is vastly different from what the three of us experienced. Ah, the classic gaslighting line. Ah, not, not in my memory, not the way I remembered it, man. It is upsetting, it's upsetting and unfortunate that the situation has led to the uncertainty about the integrity of the band, especially when we have worked so hard to uphold it. But it is important to us that we are transparent with our friends and fans. I don't think that it's uh, questioning the integrity of the band. You guys are clearly touring still with different members. Yeah. What do you think about all this? Where do you stand? Let's start off with. Sounds like Evan's a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Brooks is just a jerk. Yeah. And a large portion of that, to me, honestly, sounds like sour grapes. Uh, it's definitely like interpersonal band. Like a lot of it, the, a lot, of, a lot of it is just like, this is why you don't air out your dirty laundry. Some of it sounds petty. Some of it sounds valid. But yeah, I yeah. think it like there's like a, a degree of tattletaling in there a little bit on some of the stuff. Maybe some of the stuff is kind of repeated where it's like, you know, we could bullet point what Evan did and, and, you know, yeah. sort of stuff. And it's, it's not great. And we can, you know, the stuff where people have arguments on the road, like, I think that's going to happen. Um, I, I have some thoughts about this and I don't, I don't, I don't side with, um, one person or the other. I, I actually think that there's, uh, a lot of stuff here where clearly uh, the, the people behind War on Women are at fault. And um, the, is, the statement is kind of whack. It, this is what happens when um, people are too friendly with business things and everything gets messy. The yeah, expectations yeah. were not laid out, I guess, to what she thought she was going to get. And then when it didn't live up to that... It just, it seems like there was no communication about how things were going to work. Exactly. So most people, when they get into a band, and you, you'll find that if you look on um, the musician section of uh, Baltimore's Craigslist or uh, these other things where you're hooking up with other people, 99% of people do not bring up any of these things that are brought up in this story, which is, you know, the, uh, the money, creative control, 
image, all these things. Um, you get together. Those are rare problems to have. Yeah. To uh, even have money. It's, <laughs> it's weird because, you know, most people don't get to this point. Yeah. Most people play with their friends. They jam out. And, uh, un- and unfortunately, they're not going to be seen by a lot of people. They're not going to be touring to the extent that War on Women was. And they're not going to be put in these situations where they have to come to a head like this. Although I do think that most other bands are also having this problem where they do not talk about this stuff. Yeah. So my, my number one thing is, uh, um, or my first thing, is that the dynamics of the, of the principal composer compared to the full band writing process... I think that most people expect, especially in the punk scene, um, or scenes where everybody's not a Berkeley graduate coming into it with a very rock solid idea of what we're going to do and like sheet music's involved and stuff like that. Right. Um, most people want to get together and they want to jam with their friends and they want to come up with music organically. And like, if somebody gives you a demo and says, you know, here's, here's what we're going for, um, I think it's. Um, it's one of those things where it's kind of expected that like, yeah, this is what we're going for, but in the future we're all going to come together and we're going to like make something based off of this sound, this idea. Like, you know, we had some, some thrashy stuff in our, in our past and then we decided to make a thrash band based off of that idea of, uh, you know, our, our past songs or whatever. Um, this needs to be talked about. And, uh, again, it's, it's not okay to lead on your band members about, the about how things are going to be you should you should be pretty upfront from the get-go about well, that's why i think the legitimate gripe is if he's specifically targeting that he needs a woman to play his music yeah that's that's pretty lame but it does seem like it spells out pretty clearly that these were the terms from the beginning and they never changed and so it's maybe, there was no leading on there it maybe was like, they weren't like voiced I, I feel like the whole thing like really wasn't like voiced because it's like you know um Going on to my second point, understanding like shared expectations before the band formation and during the band evolution, you know, we at the point in which they were a local band in the in the very formation, you know, just getting together some people from Johnny Rads and a, a couple of people who were for, from an amp shop and they get together and they make some music. Who knows what that's going to be like? Who knows if we're ever going to go on a national tour or out of the country? Maybe we're just jamming on some songs. So like most people never think to hammer out these issues at this point. But, it, you know, if Brooks had this idea that he was going to be the principal composer and that he was going to be the principal image and, and Shauna was going to be the uh, the front person and, uh, and whatnot, then this is something that really needs to be said, not just in like a, hey, you know, it's like this, right? Like, like shut up about your ideas. You, like, you should know about this. It should really be like, hey, if you feel that, like, you want to have a writing piece in here like i just like you you should know that we're doing my stuff like let's say like zappa plays zappa or some or like some other like entity or like a um yeah well, any sort of center figure band if i've got the gist of her time in war on women right it was that they had the first album material written mm-hmm. and she was brought in so yeah she learned it which was cool yeah and then when it's time for the second album they gave her a CD of stuff to learn. Mm-hmm. At which point, like, I didn't hear anything about her being like, oh, well, here's a CD full of material that I've written that I'd like to do. Like, that's true. I, I'm not sure because I wasn't there. I don't know when she brought up her ideas and how they were dismissed, but 
Well, I feel like it is on uh, on Brooks and Shauna though to to kind of be like, you know, this is this is the band, like love it or leave it sort of thing. Like yeah. I, I hate that phrase, like like you know, if you don't like it, get out. But in this yeah. instance, it really should have been don't string a person on for eight fucking years. Think like if they're keeping like being like I want to write stuff. Either make a decision to include them or like be like, you know, it's time for you to move on. But anyway, uh, friends versus employees and performers. And this is like where I see there's like there's a friendship element here. We are we're women playing in a, a feminist punk band. You know, we have a camaraderie with each other. Brooks is supposedly down with the cause. Evan is supposedly down with the cause. So maybe, you know, we're all, we're all friends in here. But uh but money gets involved here. And then to be treating someone as an employee, a day rate performer, a studio musician, a live, a live musician also has to be something that you were very clear about. And I feel like that wasn't discussed here either. It's like at the moment when she was handed the CD, her like, you should join this band. It should right. be like, we are looking for a guitar player to come in and play guitar. I don't want you to do anything else. I want you to just play guitar. And that's all you're ever going to do. Everything out like the terms should have been handled completely before. I, this. I don't know if they were or were not though. They didn't, nobody's really gotten into that. So money splitting, contracts, transparency, these are all things that your band should also talk about. You know, you get if you're if you're out there, you got a friend in a band and they're just starting up a band, you're starting up a band for the for the first time. When you play your first show, you will get paid. It might only be 20 bucks. Or whatever, but you should talk about ahead of time what happens with that twenty bucks. Everybody in your band should know where that twenty bucks goes, and nobody should have sour feelings about it because you should all know that either you're all in it together. This money is for a shared fund to pay for merch, miscellaneous expenses. That's a lot of what we do. Um, or you know, we're gonna divide this up like four ways at the end of the night, or or I mean, I would not take this job personally, but you could tell someone you will not get paid. All the money that's coming in and out of this band is us. Yeah. You want the experience of coming on stage and playing guitar? That's just how it's going to be. And you you should be upfront about that because money is where these things really go wrong. Um, hotel room priority per diems and the leader of the image. So... Evan getting priority for a hotel room. Shauna getting priority for a hotel room. The other people having to sleep in the van or on a couch or something. Um, not getting food on tour. And having Shauna be the front person of the band, so not having other people speak. That is where I wonder why anyone would be in this band. There's no pay. It doesn't sound very friendly to me. No. There, you get to contribute nothing but be like a robotic, you know, do whatever they tell you to do. So why be in this band for even more than one day? Nobody noticed that your band members weren't eating. I mean, like, on one hand, I'd want to say you decide that you're you're taking the next step with your band. Do you want to go on a national tour? You should probably have something written into your. The your thing is, I would per, per, not. Per if I was expecting that I was going to be fed, that's something I would voice too before I get in the van and leave. Exactly. Otherwise, I would bring my money to make sure I, that I buy food. But yeah. if the opportunities to buy food were not even given, yes, that's like 
yeah if, if you're beyond ridiculous yeah it it's uh on one on one hand on one hand and i'm not saying that she's at fault for any of this because we all we all live and we learn we have to go through these experiences we get burned and we have to yeah. get back up and understand how these things i, are gonna I work totally going understand forward. how you can be furious about all of this stuff too yeah yeah and these things you know if if you're hearing this and and you're in a band these are things you should you should really discuss hammer out ahead of time um you don't want your band members being hungry if you want to be band leader if you want to be creative control, if you want to be front and center, have all your guys not get paid, you should not be ignoring them. During your tour, you should make sure that these players who are giving you their time for free are taken care of in some regard, right? Like, yeah. I think that's like a, a the minimum you could ask. It's like, are you comfortable? You're I mean, coming out here with me. Are you comfortable? Chances are you're bringing in money. So, order yeah. pizza. Yeah, yeah. Um... Unnecessary actions. Recording one member of the band to gauge performance. At this point in this story, I can see that Brooks had a problem with the performance of one of his band members. He's a he's sole creative force here. Maybe he was talking with Shauna about it. But Brooks was the one who put the yeah. put the uh, Zoom recorder or whatever on the amp to hear what's going on. Um, if you feel that your band member is doing a shit job. You don't need evidence for some fictional court to prove it to yourself. You can just sever the ties and keep everybody above Brown and just be like, yo, we're going to, we, we want someone else. You don't have, you don't even have to like give any particular explanation. You're the creative control. Stop jerking these people around. They're yeah. not, they're not like puppets, you know, like it, it, she's not going to like, snap into place i wouldn't expect anyone to snap into place i'd expect people to be fucking pissed you put a yeah. fucking zoom recorder on me and you're gonna judge my shit but you're not gonna judge your own like come on man like make it equal you know if we're gonna say that we're we're egalitarian and shit in here then like all right we all want to put just, out the best performance. i just don't even understand the approach what's the benefit like if if i'm fucking up and you can't tell <laughs> yeah. then who the fuck cares yeah so you're micro analyzing <laughs> like it, it after the show yeah just like, like what person in the audience is gonna like get out the stethoscope and just listen to one instrument that yeah, yeah. particularly you know like you either know the person's fucking up or not it's it, not it kind of makes me think like was it throwing the other people off and if so doesn't that kind of like um say something about your own playing like oh I'm, I'm getting a i'm fucking up a little because her her rhythm's a little bit off or something like that well shouldn't you be locked in enough to like not have to worry if one person has a problem yeah like it seems like they're really uh, uh just putting the blame in weird places and it just seems completely unnecessary um timeliness was brought up that was brought up by one women themselves in their statement um if you're not paying me I'll get there whenever the fuck I want. If you're not paying me, I will be there as long as I want. I don't yeah. understand this thing where it's like, oh, she was late all the time. You deliberately haven't denied that you like didn't pay her at all. So yeah. like, if you want someone to be there on time, you put their money in the hands. It's a job. Maybe if there was some dinner. Yeah, yeah or some time. dinner. <laughs> fuck, man. Like, yeah, give me a snack. You know, it's... um. It's really weird to be so like detached from the reality of the situation. Either you treat it as a job and it is a job or you treat it as 
a, a, a camaraderie, a band, a traveling troop of people who like playing music together who are friends. Um, pain, injury, for refusal to omit songs from a set. Um, weird. It strikes me as creative control issues. Uh, I, yeah. I need to have well, some songs. Strikes me as control issues. <laughs> yes. Um, like you don't even have to be happy about it. You just yeah, be yeah. pissed off and just be like, okay, we're not going to do the fucking song then. But yeah, yeah. You don't just leave someone out. Yeah. Kudos for being a soldier, getting through it. Apparently. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry. You had to. You had to plow through it. Yeah. I don't understand, especially when you're saying that you're opening, you're on tour, you're obviously trying to make an impression for new potential fans in the future. Um, I don't think they're really going to know the fucking difference if you play the song or not. Just yeah. drop it. Yeah. Or, you know, um, I'm a petty motherfucker and she sounds better than me because if somebody pulled this shit on me, I, I would not be embarrassed. I'd be embarrassing them. Because yeah. I'd be like, this motherfucker over here has to say some shit. We'd be having some real, some real uh, YouTube well, viral Yeah, but that's viral another thing moments. where we, we don't know how strained the relationship was. And if I'm her, I don't want to end up, you know, dumped at whatever bar, not getting that's a ride true. home or that's to the next ab- stop. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. It's... You're kind of, not to be dramatic, you're not a full on hostage, but you, right. you're not really free to go whenever yeah. you want. If you're out on tour, you got to. So you, ha- you have a two guitar attack here and um, definitely just, uh, yeah, like don't, don't be, don't be such a turd that like, you're not going to allow a person to sit out without saying anything or yeah, it, just drop it, a song. Even if you would have worded it different, it would be like, we can handle it without you. You can sit at the bar. Like that's better yeah. than like, you'll sit on the side of the stage and look like an idiot. Yeah. Then. It's like. Because I'd be fine with just like, yeah, I'm gonna have to sit out the last one. I'll go. I'll be at the bar. I'm not gonna sit here, right, and be a spectacle. So if you're in a band, um, think about the fact that you don't. No, nobody's counting on you put, to play 35 minutes of material on the dot. You can drop a song or two, and um, also think about uh, if you are uh, this kind of creative control band leader type, um, things do happen that might be out of your control. The injury might be worse than just having a very, very painful experience. You might literally not be able to use the hand. You should have a plan for when these things go wrong. You should have material, filler things, some sort of act, skit, talking to the audience. You should have something and plan for these things to go wrong, not just badgering your fucking band members into just doing the same (laughs) fucking set. Um... The firing process. Just fire people. Like, uh, this is where I think it's weird. Um, the whole band probably should have been there to make it really seem like... Because there's obviously a lot of things... I have a bigger like, problem with making me come out to a bar just to get fired five minutes yeah, into the conversation. Yeah, that's definitely like, a thing. Just send me a text. This yeah, is the yeah, one yeah. instance where I'll take being fired over text. Yeah, yeah. Um, send me a text. Let's or go into the studio. Let's go in the studio so I can get my stuff and we can have a clean transaction, yeah. you know, of what's mine and what's not instead of, you know, possibly you fire me and then we both got a race here to make sure I don't steal something, you know. Yes. And make sure that everybody is there so that we're all on the same page and we're not 
texting each other, wondering what the fuck's going on, if I'm getting screwed over by one person or yeah. everybody. As well as in that situation, I would want representatives of the band there as I take my stuff, because I don't want to hear later that I took something that I didn't. Yes, yeah. Um, and my last point, it is, it is possible, it is possible for Shauna to do good activist or social work, preach good things, but also to be shitty to people in her personal life, to be completely fucking ignorant of the plates of the people in her immediate vicinity while preaching what you should do to people outside of her immediate nebula. Uh, I'm not going to say that she is concretely a shitty person. I don't know her. Um, I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that did, you know, connect and have a positive experience with her songs. So. For those people, like that experience was still real. It still happened. Yep. So, yep, yep, yep. It's unfortunate that all of this got spelled out here like this. Um, I mean, what was the the last thing? You know, she was yeah, the, the band funny was saying story though. Um, I was at Johnny Red's when this band first formed, and I met mm. Evan Tanner there. He was behind bar, and I remember him telling me about this new band that he had just joined or started called war on women wow blast from the past yeah so um you know their statement says she was asked to leave the band because there were repeated instances of lateness i covered that inability to play and overall inconsistent behavior um if you believe that a person is unable to play your material i don't know why you have to go through all this fucking bullshit putting fucking microphones on people's amps and recording them individually just cut the fucking cord don't string people along you want to be super in control you want to you want to like you know do all this shit just just don't make it a prolonged shitty bad time for people just you know i guess maybe he's afraid of the turnover he's afraid of like not being able to get a guitarist easily yeah i guess so and i I can understand because they're not getting paid yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like a great gig. They got a they got a substitute guitarist, and she toured for thirty days and didn't get a fucking dime. Yeah. Which again, I would not. You know, if if War on Women ever puts a fucking ad up and they say that they need somebody to play, you better get in fucking writing what you are expected to get from this yeah. band because you will not get it. You, yeah. They they are not. You people know, there, there's the one <laughs> the 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 flip side of that coin though, where it's like, oh, these people who didn't get paid for what they contributed to the band but then also they're not like stepping up to help pay back bridge nine that's the band's debt you know so it's like nothing it's lost nothing gained yeah the, the a 25k advance is pretty large um where that went is definitely a question yeah um if they spent all that on the recording i don't know how they could expect but to get 25k it's back war on women's you know business not mine they don't have to report to me what they did with it it's but. true Anyone that anyone that's on the hook for that amount of money should know where it went. It's weird to me that they say they're they're giving out royalty payments, but yet they still owe money oh, that, on the advance. That's that wasn't a real royalty payment to me. That is like a dick move. Five dollars for royalties. Yeah, I mean, but you wouldn't get royalties if you had the advance, right? Because you'd have yeah. to pay back the advance before you get any royalties. That's usually how the process mm. works. Yeah. So there's some sort of thing here that's a little bit weird. I don't believe that clearly the accounting is just like not above board. Like they 
probably yeah. just run fast and loose with the money. Yeah. And, you know, that's just how it's been. I mean, it sounds like it's quite possible that Evan Tanner burned through a considerable amount of that money. Oh, uh, yeah. It does, <laughs> does sound like that. Or maybe they had to use that advance to pay back all the money that he stole so that he wouldn't end up in jail that's or something. That's also possible. Who knows? Who actually knows? But we are speculating now and that's where we'll get ourselves into trouble yeah so. yeah of course all of this is purely conjecture and i have no clue about any of the people in this band present or former right but uh we wish you all the best i hope that uh nancy's new projects are good i hope yeah that she I hope does nancy not... finds peace in her place in music I yeah to see somebody you know be scared off from the whole experience because one band mistreated them so poorly. Yeah, yeah. I hope that she finds a way to actually like put out music again and feel really good about having camaraderie with a band in the future who aren't just actually trying to treat her as a fucking bit player without telling her. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I hope that everyone else that plays alongside War on Women in the future yeah. is okay with what they're getting out of it yeah i hope you're uh i hope you're well compensated i, I like i hope or I hope okay with not being compensated yeah. like no that's my business i just yeah you got to be honest and upfront about these yeah things, definitely and, uh, and if you're in a band just look at this this whole situation sit down with the folks inside of your organization and make sure that you're all on the same page i mean when it comes to these things it, and we're not uh like speaking like experts because we've had our fair share of uh ugly crash and burn bands yes. we just weren't popular the way that war on women is for yeah, anyone yes, to have yes. seen it yeah the, the situation will arise whether you are touring that's why this all just not. strikes me as like fairly normal band stuff it's just that it's shocking because of the mistreatment of women in a band with that image. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't have too much to say about it otherwise. Let's wrap it up with this one in the can. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and move on to our interview with Carl Smith. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining us. Art, could you introduce yourself and tell us your pronouns? So, my name is Carl Jean, and it's he, him. Awesome. Uh, how would you describe the music that you play? It's, I, I consider it atmospheric, I guess. Um, but if I were to um, label it to genres, it's a mix of, like, shoegaze, black metal and doom awesome so a lot of distortion um i've seen it's it's mostly um individual yeah it's just me yeah and uh distortion stuff like that reverb lots of effects stuff awesome. like that awesome what kind of places do you usually play in with this music uh i mean pretty much anywhere houses smaller venues um the biggest place i've played is uh, metro gallery in baltimore oh cool metro yeah. yeah um all right so you play this stuff currently what was your earliest musical influence so when you're young and before you know what music is and then something 
something finally slaps you in the face and kind of tells you this is music you know what was that uh what was the spark for you i guess it was middle school uh which for me was uh 2006 was the beginning of middle school um and that was right around the time you had bands like my chemical romance fallout boy um all that kind of stuff um so i was getting into my chem in like 2006 2007 and then i started to get i got uh someone showed me the band under oath okay and then i kind of grew on from there right on so um these bands kind of let you know something about music and put you in a direction um of stuff that you really enjoyed you wanted to maybe get into what was it like um picking up an instrument finally and i I'm, I'm unsure of the history here was there ever a point where you played with musicians and you you started jumping in straight into the uh the usual sort of friends in school band or sure. something like that um for me i only recently um got into a uh a full band uh with people um and it's it's a joke band of all things um but i was always solo for the most part because i kind of like when i was younger music was purely like passion um for me so it was more so um i guess i had like an idea and like everyone just kind of wanted to play like breakdowns and you know heavy music for the sake of being heavy and mm -hmm. i wanted to write honest sort of music so it never really i never really was able to find other people that were more interested in that from where i grew up um so i just kind of stayed solo for gosh i picked up a guitar in ninth grade i want to say so 2009 so like 10 11 12 years something like that now okay um but uh up until i think 2019 um i started a joke project with a couple friends uh based on an alter ego that i have called the mogul okay <laughs> um it's very hard to explain what exactly that is because it doesn't make any sense if i were to explain it um but it's essentially like a like a joke i act like i'm the richest man in the world and i make fun of poor people uh, okay. all this and that just being an asshole for no reason yeah. um when i myself am probably the poorest person i i know <laughs> um so it's kind of just a joke on everything that i'm not right okay um so for the most part you've been what i like to refer to as principal composer it's all your ideas it's um and there's always difficulty in getting people to adopt one principal composer's ideas as opposed to three or four people getting in a room and sure. just saying, we're going to hammer at this until it becomes a uh, somewhat round-like <laughs> thing. Um, what's it been like for you jamming with the other musicians in this project? Because this is like, uh, you know, you're talking about 11 years of doing your own thing, and now... You have collaborators? Are you still the principal composer? 
so it's uh the the way it works is it's really it's it's a band but it's me and one other guy and the other guy uh his name's lance he plays in the band sharp tooth okay um he writes all the music and then i come up with the lyrics and then we kind of show everyone else the songs and try to teach them um so it's it's more so a collaboration between me and my friend Lance and it's more so him just sending me the most ridiculous things he can possibly think of and says hey do whatever you want to this okay and so it's just kind of me just kind of being stupid over some like deathcore music yeah, so you're kind of playing a little bit of tennis here bouncing the ball back and forth and sure. uh, adding to it as it as it goes along um is that um has that opened up or changed the intent of the original music? Are you thinking now about making uh, the Carl Jean stuff into more of a, a band in the future? Or, or, or are you still going to stick with that as a solo project? That's always been something that I've contemplated for a long time, moving uh, my sound to a full uh, band. But the issue that I've always come across is the music that I write is so... Uh, personal and mm. very um, borderline. The older stuff was centered a lot around personal trauma and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's more so like a, if it were to be a full band, it wouldn't feel as genuine as it would in my head because it's like, it could always be Carl Jean and the band or whatever. Right. Um, but it's always been super duper like intense uh, lyrical content and stuff like that to where it would feel weird um, collaborating with, well, collaborating is one thing, but actually having a, a band would be a completely different thing that I haven't really been able to accept happening at mm -hmm. this point it, it's been i've been doing this project since 2012 um so going on 10 years um so it's more so a like it's just me and if i were to do something it would be like a like a collaboration of sorts where it's not like a it would have to be something else entirely like brand new music, stuff that isn't as intense lyrically, I guess, for me. Okay. So it's, um, it's to some degree you want people to be, it's hard to say that people would be on the same page as you and put in the same emotions that you made this music with. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I could definitely see that in the future, maybe just clean slate. We're going to write this new music with the intent of having people not, needing to share the same headspace all sure. the time um let's talk about goals do you have an extravagant or lofty musical goal that doesn't necessarily have to be attainable or realistic but something that would be nice if it uh happened in your career i've always wanted to uh release vinyl um for whatever reason um i started collecting in 2017 vinyl um and it's always been something that's cool to me 
Um, I've toyed with the idea of just making one for myself, but that's like $60, $70 after taxes and everything for just one, one mm -hmm. copy. Um, so it's not really logistical, but um, someday I'd, I'd want to write something that I'm super proud of um, that uh, I can put out on vinyl one day. Um, but besides that, at this point, uh, this project is more so just kind of going with the flow and seeing what happens. Right, right. I see you have a lot of digital releases. Mm -hmm. um, could those easily be put together in a, in a vinyl as is? Yeah, I mean, I have, I have five full lengths, I think, at this point. And then I've been kind of, uh, I actually, in the end of 2019, before the pandemic, I decided that I was going to just stop uh, making music completely because um, a lot of the stuff that I was writing the previous album was um, written about my mother and her suicide and so it was very traumatizing to play that stuff and a lot of the older catalog was stuff that's similar in nature with other you know sort of things um, so I recently probably four or five, maybe like two or three actually months ago, decided I was going to start doing stuff again and kind of not performing any of the older stuff anymore as a way to kind of try to move on from it because it was taking a toll on me. Oh, okay. um, but the, um, the, the newer stuff that I've been writing is kind of stuff to just be like, hey, like, I'm doing stuff again. Hey, this is, you know, uh, I'm in the works of stuff. Um, so right now I have like three songs that I've kind of thrown out as just kind of like little acoustic demos or stuff like that. Nothing that's actually recorded. It's like voice memos and stuff like that. Just to, for people who are into the music to be like, oh, hey, here's something new. Cool. Right. Um, but nothing really set in stone. I do want to... Uh, release like an ep or something like that in the near future um but it's it's attainable to put stuff out on vinyl mm -hmm. um even though there is crazy vinyl delays right now um but it's just a lot of money and if i don't have any sort of backing it would take me forever to be able to uh make that happen right right well, I got to say, this is probably the most modest, one, one of the more modest goals that I've heard uh, in this question so far. I want to play every single stadium <laughs> across America. I think that um, it's possible that Medusa Head Media could have uh, something. Well, we should talk about this a little bit afterwards, and maybe we can get something uh, rolling in regards to vinyl. Um, let's talk about short-term or immediate musical goals. Do you have something that you're looking to turn the corner on right now? Are you practicing some new techniques uh anything like that i i pretty much sold most of my gear uh in the past two three years because i didn't think that i was gonna you know play out again or anything like that right um so i kind of i had a couple uh things pop up where people were like hey like do you want to do a show and i'm like yeah and then every show gets canceled every venue gets yeah. it gets uh <laughs> gets shut down. I had a show scheduled for next week at Sidebar. 
Mm. Um, and it was going to be my first show since November of 2019. And, well, the first show with, with this project. We did do a show with my joke project last year august i think something like that reopened yeah yeah. everything reopened and then right before it shut down again yeah um so i had been really itching to just play a show to just be out and do stuff with people again um so that's that's my that's my short-term uh goal (laughs) um i guess also with that i i do kind of want to write a couple newer songs um, cause I had to, when I decided that I was going to come back to playing music, uh, it was with the mindset that I wasn't going to play anything from the last like two records that I put out cause everything was the previous record being about my mom and then other stuff being still hard to sing about or say, um, I kind of ran out of of material that I did feel comfortable playing. Right. Um, so like another song or two, so I can have something solid, um, for a live set. Um, that's, that's pretty much anything that I have in the short term. Right on. Yeah. Getting a couple more songs and, uh, turning the corner on a, on a show that actually fires. (laughs) Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully it doesn't, uh, get everybody in the audience sick and, and whatnot. Uh, that would be pretty good. We played a show recently got sick ourselves <laughs> was not too great you know one show the first show back after two years and that's just the way it goes i guess right now um has there been a moment in your musicianship where you felt you reached a personal milestone absolutely um 2017 2018 um i started getting offers to play with some of my favorite bands of all time um, which is ridiculously cool for me. Um, I did a show with an artist named Emma Ruth Rundle, um, who um, is one of the, when I first started writing music, um, one of the people that I kind of looked up to. Um, so being able to open up for her was incredible. She was super duper nice, like by far the nicest person I've met playing music. Um, which was crazy. And then that show went over so well that she actually recommended me to open a show for a band called This Will Destroy You, um, which is a huge post-rock band, um, or at least in my eyes. Right. Um, the, they have a, a song that's always on the Super Bowl commercials every year for whatever reason. Wow. Okay. Um, but uh, she actually ended up helping me get on that show they had a support for the tour but the support broke contract playing a show in baltimore a couple months before the show so he wasn't able to play that specific show so somehow some way i ended up on that show and this will destroy you is actually the band that got me to pick up a guitar in the first place okay so being able to do that show for me was like probably the coolest thing that could ever happen to me being that it's the band that made me want to pick up a guitar in the first place. And it was also one of those, uh, 
years later when I kind of started to slow down. I was like, you know, do I really need to play out anymore? I right. <laughs> played with everyone that I kind of have been dying to play with or bands that I thought that I would never be able to play with. Mm -hmm. So I was just kind of like, you know what? Like, I'm cool. Like, if I never play a show again, that's that's fine with me. Oh, that sounds like an amazing experience yeah. to get the recommendation and, and almost get a step up in some regard. Although, yeah. like, I'm not sure if you necessarily feel that one is a step up over the other, but it <laughs> certainly seems like it's it's pretty good to get the recommendation from a touring band. And, yeah, absolutely. And hop over on another show. Um, so you talked a little bit about the uh, the nature of the older music that you don't necessarily want to revisit. Um, when it comes to creating music and art in general that encompasses your projects, um, are there subjects that uh, you won't touch or lines you won't cross because of, um, you know, genres, maybe uh, like taboos, controversies, current sure. events, any sort of thing like that? My music has never been political um, by any means. Um, I don't feel like the music that I write in the genre that I write is necessarily, uh, people are going to be like, oh, I can't wait for the new political Carl Jean album. Cause it's, <laughs> it's, it's always been about like trauma and personal struggles and, and stuff like that. So I don't think I would ever write anything politically, nor would any of the people who know me on a more personal uh, basis would be like, yeah, I definitely want to hear what Carl has to say <laughs> because I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Um, and I probably, uh, while I, I think I have a good mindset of uh, stuff to, to talk about, probably just wouldn't just for my own sake because right. I, I can say how I feel and then I can't, you know, someone who's, uh, has a different viewpoint will be like, well, what about this? And I'm like, oh, I can't explain anything <laughs> to you. Um, but uh, I've always been very open about music being anything, I guess. Um, so I've written, I wrote, uh, essentially the last full length that I wrote was a album that focused on the day of and the month after my mother's passing and it was to a like by the day sort of thing okay. so it's it's very like the people who have like heard it are like this is way too much like this is too much to handle i have friends that won't come out to shows because they they don't want to hear that stuff they don't want to hear me talk about that stuff um but it's uh i've always been open to writing whatever mm -hmm. it's just more so will i ever perform that stuff will i ever do it on a live basis no i started to a lot of what started to happen was i would talk about my music in between songs or stuff like that and then after i would finish playing people would come up to me and they would just spill every sort of traumatic thing that has happened to them mm. and while it's uh i always want to support it gets to a point where it's like overbearing for me because i still have yet to get over my own trauma 
So right. it's like trying to random strangers coming up to me and being like, oh, this happened to me and blah, 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 blah. And I know that they're just trying to relate, but it's like very overwhelming for me. Um, so I definitely think that I could write more stuff in the nature that I have. Um, but as far as playing it out and, uh, I guess exposing, uh, that sort of stuff to people who probably are just trying to have a good time, I, I probably, probably wouldn't, um, yeah. Yeah, I can understand the, the trauma bonding aspect of it, it's, um, obviously, uh, we, we want to support each other in our struggles sure. and such. And it does, I can only imagine the mental toll and the emotional toll that it takes um, dealing with, or not dealing with, but just soaking in somebody else's personal experience after letting it all out yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what, would you say it's accurate that maybe in the future your music may take on a deliberately... Um, uh, a deliberate approach to have a, a show experience where people are coming up to you saying a different thing instead of the um, the trauma experience. Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's definitely possible. Um, a lot of the the newer stuff that I've been writing about is more so about getting past the trauma and getting help and you know it, it's kind of like a like a like a like a reverse sort of thing to where it's still like i'm still talking about what's going on with me but instead of being like very brutally like honest about it it's more so like a okay well that stuff's in the past that happened now what so maybe it'll be instead of people coming up and being like hey this happened to me you know my sister did this or my brother did this it'll be hey i'm happy that you're getting help or hey i'm trying to get help too and then you know so it'll stay true to the story yeah, that is you. It's, yeah, it's more so like instead of, I guess, having people... Because when I say I've had people literally just come up to me and just start telling me like uh, their traumas, it's like completely unprovoked. Right. So where it's like, I guess, kind of doing the same thing I was doing to the crowd, which is something that I've learned and something that I've tried to change about uh a live set or a live show um it's just more so like instead of people just blurting out to me like their stuff to where i can't personally handle it um and maybe it'll be a more positive thing yeah hopefully in... the fans come up to you and they're like i'm i'm, I'm doing yeah. good too you know? yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad we made it through together <laughs> yeah definitely um as a musician, we hear the term success a lot in relation to musical performance, being a musician. What's your relationship with the term success? 
as far as as long as you're doing what you're what you love and you're having a good time doing it that's successful to me you know i i've never been the type of person who's and this goes back even to one of the first questions you asked about a long-term goal or or something like that um it's it's more so just doing what you love and I've never cared about what other people think or, you know, if so-and-so, I guess I'm more so trying to say that it's, it's never been about where you're playing or who you're playing with or anything like that. I'm just trying to, you know, uh, you know, I come from the, the hardcore metal scene. So I'm just trying to let out my aggression. I'm trying to let out my frustrations in a positive sort of way. Um, so as long as, you know, we're all having a good time or whatever, even though my music is a complete bummer, <laughs> right. um, uh, that that's, that's successful to me. If someone comes up to me and they're like, Hey, I really like the music. I had a good day that day. Really? You know, i I couldn't care less about, you know, money or playing to 600 people. Most of the shows that I've ever played to are like to five to 10 people, you know, and those have always been the best shows to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so. connection between the the people being, you know, so much closer. Yeah, and engaged. It's It's just a much better, that's, I'd rather play a show to 10 people that are fully engaged than play at a bar to a bunch of people who are, you know, talking or just kind of, you know, not really caring right. about the situation. Yeah. Um, as, uh, as you were saying earlier, you've, you've, your music is difficult for you and the, the experiences that you have, with your fans are difficult um, sometimes. <laughs> um, what is the most difficult part for you about making music or being a musician? Is it is it that process, or do you find the more mundane, behind-the-scenes stuff to actually be very difficult as well, or, or something else? Uh, if I'm being honest, the most difficult thing that I ever had... Uh, when you know writing music or anything like that it's with this last release that i did the the full length about my mom i spent a very long time trying to figure out if i even wanted to put it out there Mm. um it's it's always been more so more uh more stuff that's behind the scenes um because it's it's always been a challenge for me in that regard. Did you do your own like mixing and mastering on that stuff? So yeah, everything that has been publicly released has been recorded by me on audacity with a $20 plug-in mixer or whatever. Um, I recorded um, songs of morning, the previous album, uh, actually with a friend uh, and uh, 
uh, he sent it to another friend to master. And I felt like the emotion wasn't there. Like, it felt very, like, hands-on, I guess. Right. Where, for me, like, I have a specific, like, way that I want to sound. And so... I feel so bad. I'm if uh, Keith and Lance are listening to this, I I apologize, <laughs> but I put out songs of morning. I recorded it with them, and uh, Keith and Lance both play in Sharp Tooth, and um, I subjected them to listening listen to that album over and over and over and over again. And they're good friends of mine. Right, right. So it was it it it's funny now. But thinking back then, it probably wasn't the best idea to even do that. Um, but uh, Keith, the one who uh, recorded um, the album with me, uh, they had said that it was very challenging for them to mix the album. They're, they're my best friend. Mm. So it was them hearing stuff that, because I don't ever like, I don't usually publicly talk about how I feel or talk about, you know, my struggles or stuff like that. It's always been through the music. Right. So when I recorded the album, I did it all in one take, like front to back one take. Uh, it was like a, a 40 minute just piece. And my friend who's recording me is just listening for the first time hearing any sort of, uh, lyric or anything like that and was like crying um so it didn't they made it sound as good as they could mm -hmm. but i wanted it to be more raw more lo-fi i guess in a sense of where like they had all the fancy stuff that made me sound cool or sound good and could yeah, do yeah. all these little edits, but I wanted the rawness in the record. I wanted the mess ups to be in there just completely just, yeah, I messed up. That's, you know, part of the, part of the emotion of that record, I guess. Um, but yeah, everything that I've done has always been recorded by me. And unless something crazy happens, I probably would continue it that way okay. just because and just because I'm very particular and I don't want to harass somebody for an hour about right, mixes right. or stuff like that. Cause I don't, I don't want to be difficult. So when my friends mm -hmm. sent me the record back, I was like, yeah, sounds good. And then mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, here it is. And then I was like, you know what? Never mind, And deleted it and then recorded in one day, uh, a new version of it. And they were like, what happened? I was like, well, you know, stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you do this process, um, you said, you know, it's, it's difficult for, for other people to listen to it, uh, in, in this, uh, mixing and mastering process, tweaking the knobs, you're going to be hearing the same song multiple times. And, uh, do you find that to be, cathartic is it hard for you to deal with that like is that a difficult part of the process is that um you know kind of kind of reliving the song the however many playthroughs 10 20 times you're, sure. you're tweaking for for me it was always 
like when when I record stuff, I'm <laughs> extremely quick with uh, editing, you know, mixing. I, I don't even know if I master. I don't know how to master. I, I, <laughs> I just kind of put it on my computer. And I'm like, yes, eh, this, this sounds all right. You know, whatever. Um, but I don't really ever like listen that many times. I just kind of do like a, like a one click compression. I'm just like, all right, cool. You know, whatever it's loud. That's all I care about. <laughs> um, it's always been harder for me to, um, perform live over recording stuff or listening to it over and over again, because it's more of that experience with other people. Mm -hmm. Whereas with recording by myself, it feels very, you know, cathartic, very, there's times where it feels good to let out that aggression or, you know, hear it. But then hearing back sometimes it's kind of like, ouch, like that was, you know, really painful or right. like showing it to someone and being like, Hey, what do you think of this? And they're like, Oh, well it sounds like shit, but you know, <laughs> like it's like a, like it, it sounds the recordings that I have, they sound okay, but they're not, you know, great by any means. So when I show it to someone who actively does that for a living, they're like, Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's all emotion based. So yeah, I, I truthfully don't know what I'm doing when I record. I just kind of do it. Well, not everything <laughs> needs to be to an industry standard or anything. And sure. there's like, there's still, they, they say the gatekeepers are gone. We're all able to upload to Bandcamp and YouTube and whatnot. It's not necessarily always the case because there are the, the gear nerds and the recording nerds out there who still think that things should be done in a set way. Things should be up to a certain level sure. and not sound lo-fi or like they were recorded at home. They, uh, they, they want to do all the tricks to make it sound as close to a real product as possible. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Yeah. It does sound, it sounds like a process and I can understand <laughs> why you wouldn't listen to it 10 or 20 times. Sure through the through the mixing process um especially if there's not that many edits and tweaks going into it um how about uh some philosophy here so we have music on Bandcamp. uh at a certain point napster came out and made music free then Kazaa, LimeWire, etc. Music was free. Eventually music came back to Apple Music and Spotify. And now we get a fraction of a penny for a play instead of absolutely nothing. Um, it kind of shook up the view of how people consume music and what the value of music is. Do you think that songs inherently have a, a price, a, mu a, a monetary value? In a physical sense, sure. You know, vinyl, CDs, cassettes, whatever. Um, but I've always made my stuff free. Mm -hmm. um, just because it's, you know, I, I'll only charge, you know, money for CDs or whatever. And then usually like three, four months after it's been out, I'll just put it for free, you know, it, if somebody were to come up to me and be like, Hey, 
I really enjoyed your set. I'm like, wow, cool. And then I try to give you everything that I possibly can, you know, <laughs> right. whether it be CDs or a t-shirt or something like that. It's for me being the, the size that I would consider myself to be, which isn't very big. Um, you know, I have, I think 10 monthly listeners on Spotify or something like that. You know, I don't, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't, that stuff doesn't matter to me. I, I never try to promote myself in that regard or be like, Hey, listen to me on Spotify or put me on a playlist or something like that. Cause I know the music that I put out and I know that people aren't going to be like, yeah, I'm driving to, I'm on vacation. Let's listen to that new Carl Jean record. Nobody's, nobody's doing that. You know, I, I know that, you know, the stuff that I put out is, you know, bummer music and I would rather people listen to it and people have a sense of, um, someone can relate to it. Right. I, I would, I would much rather have music that music free that someone can relate to mm -hmm. than have to be like, Hey, pay me five bucks. Give me, give me all the money. What, what am I going to do with it? You right, know, right. I'm, just gonna pay my bills or you know I, ha I have two jobs so all that money is just gonna go to grocery shopping or you know mm -hmm. whatever it's 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 not like music for me has ever been a sense of i want this to be like the thing that i do for the rest of my life okay it's always been just like a i do it you know just to let out any anger, any frustration, or or to try to let go of stuff. Um, so as far as music having a price, personally, I think digitally or anything like that, it should be free. And I think that there should be, you know, um, I understand why, you know, big labels want money or, you know, they need Spotify sales so that the record labels can pay their artists that they gave a bad deal, you know, $2 a month or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, it's not great what Spotify is doing by any means. Um, but at the same time, like I'm pretty sure I haven't paid my distro key, my distro kid uh payment in like two years and it's still on the internet so <laughs> I, don't, I don't see why uh anything should be you know monetized for for that matter right did you see a future where carl jean is is a job like as a as a musician or you have no intents of commercializing it in any sense i did for a, a long time when I was younger, much younger. Um, but based on the, you know, the stuff that I would write about or stuff that, you know, unless something crazy happens, I just, I haven't really considered wanting that to be a job. Would it be cool to go on, you know, a tour as a support artist sure but i don't i don't think at this point i see myself doing anything massive right i i think it's you know i'd i'd rather just be the the guy that 
you know, plays out locally and maybe occasionally I'll do a show, at, you know, through the East Coast. I've, I've toured before um, on this project up to, I went up to Connecticut, Maine, and then I've gone down to like North Carolina, but that's, you know, Right. If if I get if someone's like, hey, do you want to do like three days and do like New York, Pennsylvania, and Maryland? Sure. Yeah. But that's probably the extent that I would want to do it. Okay. So making music costs money. I'm sure you know. You sold some gear to, to, <laughs> to make the other things happen. Um, what do you do to? make the music happen monetarily do you is it that the day jobs fund the music entirely do any of the sales of the music uh merch or anything like that keep the ball rolling um what's your what's your plan with the money to make the music happen well um before i really had any uh bills or uh rent I only recently uh, moved out. Um, I think we're on our third year of the place that we're at, and that that's my first place. Um, but up until then, um, I had you know extra money from jobs that I was doing to be able to afford the sort of stuff. And um, now at this point, it's like hey, Christmas is coming around, maybe my girlfriend, maybe I'll ask my girlfriend or, or someone for, you know, a, a cool amp or something like that. I've, uh, in the past, I've um, gotten some ridiculous, I used to have a crazy gear set up. I would show up to shows with three half stacks and just play as loud as I possibly could. Nice. That was the whole purpose was to just be as obnoxiously loud and, you know, whatever. Um, so there was a point where, uh, one year for Christmas, I was like, Hey, I have $500. How about my mom and my girlfriend come together with my money and we buy a model T a son model T Ooh. amp. And I had that for like a year. And then I was like, I don't need it. <laughs> so, cause I used to be like a huge, like gear person where I would buy something and then I would sell it and buy something else and then sell that and buy something else. Um, so I kind of, now I'm at a point where I got to figure out how I can afford to get an amp or yeah, yeah. get a cab or something like that. Cause I literally, I have my acoustic guitar and I have my pedal board. I can't really, oh, I so can, you don't have an electric. I no, I haven't. I do have an electric guitar, but you don't have the rig, but I, yeah, but I don't have the rig. So I have a broken 212 that's in my attic, and I don't have an amp. So, so we're scraping pennies to make the to make <laughs> music happen at this point. Yeah. So someone, um, I'm just going to quickly go back to uh, playing a show this year. Yeah. Um, when a friend hit me up and was like, hey, can you play a show? I was like, absolutely. I, I'd love to play a show. And he was like, okay, cool. Show got announced. And I was like, I don't have anything. Yeah. This this sucks. What am I going to do? So I hit up my friend and I was like, hey, uh, can I use like your whole entire rig for a show? And they were like, yeah, I, I guess. And I'm like, sorry, I, you know, 
I'm not going to break it. <laughs> promise I won't be silly. But uh, everything, for the most part, was paying through jobs and stuff like that. But now it's kind of like, I don't know what to do. Right. So. So, speaking of the Sun Model T, maybe this may be the answer to this question. But uh, do you have a favorite piece of equipment that you've ever owned or used? So, as far as amps go, I've had, like, every cool amp in my mind that I could possibly have. Um, I had a, a Sun Model T, the reissue, so it was the um, the silver knob, not the red knob. Mm -hmm. um, then I had a couple Sovtex, uh MiG-100s, then I had... PVVCM 120s and I, I at one point I had like seven heads and seven cabs and just ridiculous and I'd play a show and be like hmm, what cabs do I want to bring to this show um I think the coolest piece that I've ever owned actually is a uh I have a Eventide Space which okay. is my reverb and that has been ever since I I've always wanted like a like a really cool very uh ridiculous reverb thing mm -hmm. um so the cool thing with the eventide space is if i wanted to i could use it as a vocal processor i could use it as a a plug-in for recording or whatever i don't know how to do any of that stuff but it has <laughs> it has like xlr inputs and stuff like that so you could do whatever with it. Um, but that has been the coolest, like, and it's, it's, it's kind of silly for me to say it because I literally use one setting and that's it. Right. That's the one that I came up with for the, the project. Um, but that is by far my favorite piece. It's like a, I think they're like four or $500, something like that. And I've had it for like five, six years now at this point. And it's always been my, I can't play a show without it. Okay. Um, it sounds like most of your gear has gone away over the years. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> our next question we ask everybody is, uh, how much gear do you think is too much? And do you get what they call gear acquisition syndrome, which is where you uh, continually finding yourself upgrading the rig, essentially? Yeah. Um... I don't think there's ever too much. Um, at one point um, in my pedal board, I had seven different fuzz pedals. And my, my girlfriend at one point asked me the question. She was like, hey, um, those are all like fuzz pedals. She was trying to understand like what my pedal situation is. She doesn't really pay attention to that sort of stuff. So she was just trying to be nice. And I was like, well, I've got a triangle muff here. This one's a ram's head. And then this one's a Russian. And she's <laughs> like, what? And so she literally like, I we're sitting in my bedroom. I have my whole entire gear set up and I'm just pressing each fuzz pedal. And she's like, Carl, I don't hear a difference. <laughs> I was like, no, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a difference. Yeah, I yeah. promise you there's a difference. And, um, 
So I, I, I never think there's too much. Um, I got to a point where I was very content with what I had. Um, and so I pretty much had sold everything except for what I absolutely needed. Mm -hmm. Um, because it became, we ended up moving a bunch, um, from, uh, I left my house when my mother passed and then I moved in with her family and then her mom moved. So we did like a bunch of moving and it got to a point where it was exhausting to carry around seven guitar cabs and mm -hmm. 10 amps and, you know, a million other things when I wasn't even playing out to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, or often enough to where it's necessary, I guess. Um, but no, I, I think everyone should buy everything. And <laughs> I would rather go to a show where there's a whole line of just cabs and amps and pedals and stuff than like some dude showing up with a combo amp, which is probably going to be uh, me. Right. I'm probably going to be the guy with the combo amp when I can afford to have a combo yeah, amp. Yeah. Um, we're all getting there. I, I just downgraded <laughs> to a two by 12 because you know, it's getting heavy. <laughs> yeah. I, I did a, um, I did a tour with, um, uh, an artist named Zvi. Um, he's, uh, used to be a guitar player for a band called KO dot. Um, and we did this matinee show at noon in Connecticut, in the middle of nowhere in Connecticut. And it was just the promoter and their mom mm. that was at the show because it was a matinee and we were, he had a name, I, I didn't. Um, and it was up this like spiral staircase and we each brought our own gear. So we shared, we used my car and he packed all his stuff in my car with all of my shit. And um, we got to the venue and he was like, look, I've been helping you move gear for this whole entire thing. <laughs> We're playing with my combo 212 and that's it. And I was like, oh, I can take this orange 412 up up a spiral staircase. And he goes, there's nobody here. Don't even bother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with being the, the combo 212 guy. I, I really wish I was the seven cab guy still, but. Mm -hmm. It's just not me anymore. Right. So, outside of music, do you have hobbies, passion projects, other things, pursuits that uh, fight for the music time? That take up your time or take precedence, maybe, uh, things you got to do otherwise? I am very obsessed over music um, to a point where I've been like publicly every day sharing what I'm listening to, like making like a, a Facebook post. And I'm like, Hey, this is my playlist for I've today. Seen, yeah. And it's like eight, nine hours of music every single day of just stuff that I listen to. Um, but outside of that, um, I recently have found out that a, a coworker of mine, uh, does stand up comedy. Okay. I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I've kind of toyed with the idea of doing that. Uh, I'm big into pro wrestling. Um, Old or new? Both? Both. Japan? Both. Ah, uh, no. Um, I'm more so... I kind of grew up like a 
WWE person, I guess. Right, right. But now I don't really watch that anymore. I watch AEW. And um, watching AEW has gotten me more into, like, indie sort of people and stuff like that. So I am becoming more familiar with, you know, New Japan and stuff like that. But that's only the past, like, two years. Okay. Um, but I've always been huge into wrestling. Um, actually had a, uh, a brief stint with my alter ego, uh, the world's greatest mogul, where I was interviewing uh, wrestlers. <laughs> um, that in and of itself could be a whole different podcast episode about yeah, yeah. how ridiculous this thing that makes no sense ended up becoming something that I didn't even think was, was possible. But I ended up actually interviewing um, a bunch of wrestlers um, that I thought was cool. And I was a part of a, a wrestling... Um, there's a guy named Zicky Dice. Um, I have to be careful with what I say. Um, but there was a guy named Zicky Dice who was in NWA. And now he's in Impact uh, Wrestling um, that found me on Twitter and thought I was funny and asked me to join his show that he has on Twitch or had on Twitch um, where I would just harass wrestlers on the spot oh, and yeah. see how good they are at uh, on the spot sort of thing. It was kind of like a started out as a uh, like a surprise like oh hey here's this guy he's gonna ask you a bunch of questions. Like, and, like a random internet heel and yeah, like work him no, into a sh shoot? Straight up. Straight up. It would be like um, the first interview that I did with was with a uh, a wrestler named Brody King, um, who's now on AEW. Um, he was in New Japan for a while, um, and the idea was Zicky was like, "Hey, um, I'm not going to tell him that you're coming in. I'm just gonna, you know, I want you to just harass him, just make fun of him, just like talk <laughs> about how like he's not successful or anything like that, and just see how someone who on the fly is just chilling." can mm -hmm. get into that zone without a script or without like any sort of idea, see how they can handle on their own. Right. And, um, yeah, uh, big into pro, big into pro wrestling. <laughs> um, but yeah, besides that, nothing really. Most of my time is spent music collecting vinyl. After this, I'm going to Soundgarden. I'm going to pick up a couple records maybe awesome. with the $0 that I have in my bank account. <laughs> Can't wait to go home to my girlfriend on that one. Hi, Caitlin. <laughs> well, uh, as we wrap up here, could you tell us about your most recent projects, your most recent releases, and where people can find them on the internet? Sure. Um, so I'm on Bandcamp, carlgene.bandcamp.com. Um, my joke project, uh, X Mogul or X can be found at, I think it's mogul crew, fuck you dot bandcamp dot com. Um, I have a couple songs that I'm working on. I'll probably release that at some point this year. If I ever figure out how to get that situated again. Um, and besides that, I'm probably gonna go to shows and have a good time so you'll probably see me at a show somewhere right on so hopefully the uh the sidebar when it reopens in yeah. whatever state that uh that's gonna be in. 
Um, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, it's been a blast talking to you this whole thank time. You. I loved learning about your perspectives on this stuff. And uh, I'm looking forward to new material that Carl Jean puts out on the internet. Thank you. Hope we can rep it in the future when it comes out uh, in, the, in the show notes on a future ep- episode. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll sign off, get to the end of the podcast. And uh, yeah. Thank you. Have a great one, man. You too. <laughs> All right. If you're watching the video, please make sure to give us a thumbs up and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio podcast, please consider leaving a review. Our podcast should be available on all podcast platforms. If it's not, let us know. Brought to you by Medusa Head Media. This is our overarching brand for all the things that we do. If you want to collaborate on audio visual or print project, please reach out to us at medusaheadmedia at gmail.com. This is recorded at Orion Studios in Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you to Carl Smith for coming in for our interview. Thank you to Kyle. And of course, thank you for showing up and listening. Take care, everyone. Bye.